Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hey everyone, today I'm talking with Eric Steidel, author of Ayal the Arrow Boy, a middle grade novel that is a retelling of the story of David and Jonathan, originally found in the book of 1 Samuel in the Bible. Eric's unique twist tells the tale of this biblical accounting through the eyes of a young servant boy named Ayal, and it's really an intriguing narrative that will appeal to adults as well. But before we get started, here's the inside scoop on Eric Steidel. Eric Steidel was born and raised in Medina, Ohio, as the third of six children. He wrote his first book, titled A City Slicker in Texas, for a Power of the Pen competition in fourth grade and never looked back. He has always found joy in writing, both creatively and academically. He attended Liberty University, where he crammed a four-year degree into six years, graduating in 2012 with a B.S. in teaching English as a second language and a minor in Spanish and youth ministry. Eric is married to his high school sweetheart, Shannon. They live together in Medina, Ohio with their four children and Yellow Lab. They are an active family and enjoy hiking, soccer, basketball, biking, and almost any other outdoor activity. Eric is proud to be able to state that, like him, his children are all avid Star Wars fans. For more information about Eric Steidel and his works, visit his website at steidelstories.com. Well, hi, Eric. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about your new novel, Ayala the Arrow Boy. So Ayala the Arrow Boy is a creative retelling of one of the classical uh, biblical accounts. It's the account of David and Jonathan. Uh, it's found in 1 Samuel 18. Mm-hmm. But it's told from the perspective of one of the minor characters in the story, Near the end of the story, uh, I'm not going to give away the punchline or anything, (laughs) but near the end of the story, Jonathan uh, shoots an arrow to signal to David whether it is safe for David to remain in Israel or not. And he sends a servant boy to go fetch the arrow while David comes up hiding. And and so then they say goodbye and David leaves. It's a whole story of Saul, the king of Israel, and how he wanted to assassinate David, who was a commander in his army, but was Jonathan's best friend. Mm. And and so it's really good entering. It's one of the best stories in the Bible, Um, but it's told from that minor character's perspective, the boy who Jonathan sent to fetch the arrow. So what inspired you to write this story? So I got this idea for this story from really the pandemic, uh, the coronavirus pandemic, my wife and I volunteer at our local church working with the middle school and high school students. Mm-hmm. And when everything shut down, uh, we were kind of like, well, we're like, we can't meet in person anymore. Like we weren't allowed. So how do we still engage our middle school students in scripture? And so I was like, well, what if we told, you know, Bible stories from like teenagers perspectives in the story? Because like all yeah. the stories in the Bible, for the most part, are told from adult perspectives, right? right. And, and so maybe it could be more engaging, more intriguing to them if we actually told the same stories, but from uh, minor characters, teenagers' stories. And so 
like the whole premise of the story is, like I said, it's taking that story, that well-known story of David and Jonathan and, and like the assassination attempt on David, but retelling it from a character who's just mentioned once in, in the story. Yeah, I love that, telling it from a minor character's perspective. And it, it seems like that is becoming more and more of a trend but I think it it just it brings a whole new light to the story because who would have imagined the story being told from a servant's voice perspective right and I think that I mean the Bible is kind of I think a lot of it is left open for uh, things just like that Mm -hmm. I mean uh, I think I forget which gospel it's in but at the end of it uh, the writer even says and like if, if we were to tell everything that Jesus did, like there wouldn't be like you could fill up the entire sky with scrolls and we wouldn't have enough room to write down everything that Jesus actually did. And, and so to me, that's like saying like there's there's a lot of untold stories. There's a lot of untold perspectives, at least in my point of view, like as long as we don't uh, get outside the realm of actual biblical teaching and and stuff like that, I, I think that that the Bible was left open for us to do things like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you wrote your book, and it came out during the pandemic. And then, what did you do? Like a, a Bible study with your students, or how are you using this book to reach kids? Well, so we actually what we did was um, I started writing it. Uh, I think it was, it was probably like March or April during the pandemic, like everything shut down in March. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing it in April and I started talking to one of the pastors at our church. And I was like, what if we started like a, a blog? A lot of churches are doing blogs. Mm-hmm. And, and so what if we started a blog and we just released this kind of chapter by chapter each week on the blog? And so our, our mm-hmm. middle school students could just kind of like, you know, whenever they wanted to just connect with this and, and engage in scripture. And so, yeah, that's really how we used it throughout the pandemic. It, it's funny, like we, we started it uh, primarily for middle school and, and high school students, but a lot of adults from the church actually <laughs> were engaging in it, like almost more than the middle school students were in. Uh, just a lot of positive feedback on it and stuff like that. So. Yeah. But as far as the Bible study, our church is just now getting back to meeting in person mm-hmm. again. So we haven't really started up middle school Bible studies yet at my church. Our, our church just split into two campuses. And so we're at oh, the wow. new campus where we only have uh, like three or four middle school students right now anyway. So we haven't really uh, established that middle school Bible study again yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, things are starting to open back up. Our church just opened up two Sundays ago, so it's, it was nice to get back to some semblance of normal anyway. Yeah, the, the problem, though, is that we've all been used to wearing masks, and right. so now, like, that we don't, like, I have to remember, like, I have a facial expression, you know? <laughs> like, people are going to see what faces I'm making now, so i got got to be careful, you know? Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Oh, my goodness. So, so tell us about your main character, he is a character from the Bible. What motivates him to get involved in all this, or does he do so involuntarily? Kind of both. So he's an errand boy in the palace, right? He works for Prince Jonathan, who is King Saul's son. And so he is he's a runner. Uh, that's what he is very good at, very talented at. But his whole life, he's, he's an orphan. Um, and, and so 
He he grew up on the streets of Jerusalem, and he's always felt very insignificant. He's smaller in stature, he's skinny, but then he found out that he's a really good runner. Mm. He can run fast, he can run for long distances, right? And so he started running errands for the merchants in Jerusalem, and so then eventually that led to him getting a job at the palace with Jonathan. And so one day, he's just running an errand, and he overhears two people talking about this plot to assassinate David, who, like I said, is Jonathan's best friend, also a commander in uh, the Israelite army. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of thrust upon him, but then he actually ends up playing a big part in thwarting that scheme, that assassination attempt. And so what, what motivates him is the drive for significance, right? Mm. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of something that, that drives us all, right? Like mm-hmm. we... We don't want to just be another number. We want our lives to have meaning. We want to be part of things that are bigger than ourselves. And and so the universal theme is that no matter how small we are in stature or how insignificant we feel, that if we allow God to use us, then we can be part of something huge, like establishing David's kingdom in Israel, which is, you know, known as the golden age of Israel. Um, And so what drives him is just a need for significance. And one of the themes for Ayal is when Samuel went to anoint David king, you know, he said, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Mm. And so that's kind of the underlying scripture that drives the book is that like no matter how insignificant we feel, how insignificant we look, or how weak we look, you know, if God's backing us, then we're more powerful than we can even imagine. Yeah, yeah, definitely themes still relatable to teens today, for sure. So how long have you been writing, and what drew you to write for middle grade and teens? So I've been writing for a while. It's funny, because it was about maybe two or three years ago, I'm I'm the third of six children. And so my mom, while we were growing up, she actually kept these like big Tupperware Rubbermaid boxes Mm. of just things from school. Right. Mm -hmm. And like three years ago, she's like, Hey, Eric, here's this box of all this stuff that I collected while you were going through school. And so I'm looking through it. And uh, in third grade, I wrote a story for a power of the pen competition. Mm-hmm. And so that, I guess, is officially my debut publication. <laughs> uh, it did not win. It was, it was a story called um, A City Slicker in Texas, where, like, I, I don't even remember my mindset with that. <laughs> so officially, I've been writing since, like, third grade. As far as, like, actually writing, I probably started about five or six years ago. Uh, as a trade, I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach up in Cleveland. What I found was that a lot of the reading passages that my students had, they just didn't relate to very well. Just culturally, like the names in the passages weren't names that their names sounded like. And so it it just wasn't very relatable to them. Um, Like a lot of them would be about things like building a treehouse. And and I'm like, I I don't think any of my students have ever actually even seen a treehouse. They don't like they, they just can't engage with that with that reading passage. So I started writing short stories, doing things as simple as using my students' names in the story. Mm. And I found that they just engaged so much better with that. Like they thought it was awesome. Oh, oh my goodness. Like, yeah. You know, uh, DeAnthony is, is in this story. It's his name. It's his name. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I, I started just writing these short stories 
And then uh, I, I ended up writing and, and self-publishing a children's book about three years ago, just kind of uh, dealing with a lot of the obstacles that students in elementary school face. And, and mm-hmm. so that was my debut publication. I just self-published that on Amazon. Um, but then I, I was kind of just looking at, like, what should I write next? I have you know, seven different children's books in the works, like oh, wow. at different stages of, at different stages of completion. Yeah, I think every author is kind of there. We all have like, you know, 25 works in progress. Yeah. So there was that. And then I was like, you know what? Like, I, I think I'd like to write a novel. And then like the pandemic hit and it was kind of, it kind of just fell into my lap. Hey, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of, we, we still need to engage our middle school, high school students and so why don't I try and take this desire I have to write a novel and, and try and, you know, engage students in scripture in a new way? Yeah, yeah. I I love that. And I feel like the middle grade, there's a definite need for more books in for that age group. I mean, it, it seems like that anyway. It's an audience that, yeah, that it, needs more attention. Yeah, absolutely. It's I mean, obviously, in, in the past five, ten years, middle grade, teen young adult literature is just boomed right like there was first there was like harry potter and and that was kind of like an older middle grade type Mm -hmm. book and that hit big and then you had you know the hunger games divergent all these novels for middle grade and then kind of like the lower middle grade like diary of wimpy hit type stuff Mm -hmm. and it was just huge and i was looking at it i was like you know what there's not really a whole lot out there for middle grade specifically for the Christian market, right? So um, I was like, you know what, I could fill a need there. And so that that was one of the driving things behind it. Yeah. Nice. So what did you find to be the most challenging aspect of writing for a young audience? Uh, so it, it's difficult as a 34 year old to put myself back into the mindset of a 13, 14 year old, you know, young adult like that, because it's just a completely different way of thinking. I, I had to remember like, well, what would I have done in this situation? And, and so I think, cause if you write for teens, but you write as an adult, it's just not going to come off as authentic. Um, and it, it's just not going to be very engaging. So one right. of the most challenging things that I found was trying to put myself into the mindset of of a young teen boy um, to write from that perspective. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I couldn't remember that far back, one. And two, I think you have to be around kids because it does take a certain, like you said, a totally different mindset. And I feel like, you know, kids are just more open when looking at things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of feedback have you received on Ayal the Arrow Boy? Uh, Just a lot of honestly very positive feedback. It's been just so encouraging. Uh, Everyone that has gotten back to me has has absolutely loved it. Um, They've said that their kids have loved it. I've also gotten there's there's like seven, six or seven grammatical errors, though. (laughs) So uh, they're like, hey, Eric, I love the story. Like, a lot of most people have said that it's very descriptive. They're uh-huh. like when I read when I'm reading it to my kids, like it's it's just super descriptive. They have a very easy time like painting a picture in their head with it. So they're like it's really descriptive. Love the story. Uh, however, comma uh, there are some grammatical errors. <laughs> you might just want to check out these. Uh, but overall, people like it's just been very encouraging. 
So these are students commenting on grammatical errors? Mostly the parents. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, you know. If the students commented, I would be happy with that. Like, hey, I was going to you know, say, well, well that's pretty impressive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh, goodness. So what do you like to read? Do you have any favorite novels or series in the teen and, and young adult genres? Um, so I will always go back to uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. Like, I love The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings series. I think when Tolkien first wrote The Hobbit, he actually wrote it as like a children's book. Mm-hmm. He never even planned on having it published. But I think it was uh, actually C.S. Lewis read it and he was like, dude, you, you got to publish this. Yeah. Thing. And so then he, he published The Hobbit and it was such a big success that he went on to write, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then he created like a whole world of like elves and dwarves, you know, with the Cimmerillion and, and all kinds of things. I just finished listening to the Harry Potter series mm. I, on my commute. I listened to books on tape. And so I listened through the Harry Potter series and that was really good. Um, JK Rowling, like when I, (laughs) I know like it's, it's just a really bad habit to like compare yourself to people. But as I'm like listening to JK Rowling, I'm like, wow, like my writing doesn't even hold a candle to this. (laughs) Like it's, it's so good. But But that's that's where you learn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and just like, little nuances like, oh, I could find a different way to describe, you know, this. Uh, that's that's a more interesting way to engage, like, my readers' imaginations. Mm. But then in, in right now, I'm actually going through, it's called the Sigma Force series by James Rollins. It's not a teen series, but it that's what I'm going through now, mm. uh, which is really good. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at in my own what I'm reading. Nice. So which writers have inspired your own work as an author? I would probably go back to Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did read through the Chronicles of Narnia as a kid. Um, really liked those, but I, I really just fell in love with The Hobbit and, and The Lord of the Rings. Those are some of my favorite books of all time. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Tolkien there. Yeah, well, you can't argue with that choice. So what about your work? Do you have plans for maybe a middle grade Christian fiction series? So I actually do. So I'm writing a three-part trilogy based on uh, the founding of the church at Philippi. There were three members, three founding members of the church uh, in Philippi, the Philippian church. There's a slave girl who she would pronounce divinations and and stuff like that, um, that Paul cast a demon out of her. Uh, so she was the first convert to Christianity. Then there was Lydia. She was the seller of purple goods and purple linen. I mean, stuff like that. She was the second one. And the third one is the Philippian jailer. Mm. And so uh, I'm writing a series based on the founding of the Philippian church. All those three conversions told from the perspective of their children. So the jailer's son is the first one I'm writing right now. Uh, because at the end, it says that the jailer and his whole family believed and, and they were baptized. Again, it's one of those things where we know those people were there. So mm-hmm. let's take that character and and expand it. Like, what did his family look like? Who were they? Um, and so I, I created, you know, a, a whole family for the jailer. And I'm telling the story of his conversion, the jailer's conversion from his oldest son's perspective. 
Now, you mentioned a couple of women. Will you write from the female perspective or from their children as well? <laughs> yes, actually. So that's what I'm super nervous about. <laughs> um, so with with Lydia, I'm actually writing it from her daughter's perspective. So yes, I'm going to be writing from a teenage girl's perspective, <laughs> uh, which, uh, you know, Lord help me. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. I'm, I'm probably going to be asking friends, family, yeah. uh, my wife about like, well, like how would I, how would a 13 year old girl like think about this? I have no idea what I'm talking about here, <laughs> but that's going to be one of the fun things about it. That's going to be one of the things that's going to help me grow as a writer, as an author. And, um, and hopefully that will engage an entirely different audience as well as both my first two novels will be told from a young boy's perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Well, more power to you. Absolutely. So, <laughs> and it sounds yeah. like fun. Yeah. So what about your students? What ages do you teach? So through last year, I, I taught kindergarten through fifth grade. Mm. Um, like I said, as I, I teach two things, I teach English as a second language. And I teach, uh, it's called Title I Reading. So it's reading intervention. Um, and so I, I've been on the west side of Cleveland uh, where there's there's a very large Puerto Rican population. So I, I teach English to our students where English isn't necessarily their primary language right. or if they're bilingual, then, then my job is to, you know, uh, make sure that, that they're understanding everything in class, teach them, you know, the English vocabulary and skills that they need to be successful academically. And then also the second part of the job is teaching reading intervention, working with uh, students who are struggling academically in the area of literacy uh, and, you know, bringing them back on par. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I've been K through five. Next year, I'm going to be expanding. I'll be doing K through eight, kindergarten through eighth grade. So, I'll be working with those, you know, teenagers yeah. uh, that I'm writing about. So it'd be a, a new perspective and maybe I can, you know, gain some perspective on, on them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now you have young children, is that right? Yes, four kids. Uh, my oldest is going to turn seven next month. Then I have a five-year-old a three-year-old and a six-month-old. Mm, wow. So they're a little young for your teen series yet, but um, have you read the story to them? So my oldest one actually did read through IL. He's a really natural reader. Um, he just picks up on it really quickly. He's read through the first like 12 of the Magic Treehouse series, mm. um, which I, I also love. I would actually, yeah, Mary Pope Osborne would be someone that I would definitely love to model my writing after yeah. she's, she's really good so yeah he read through it he really really liked it I'm not going to give away the ending but he really loved this the certain part at the ending he's like dad that's awesome hey. <laughs> I'm like hey thanks man yeah uh glad you like it <laughs> but yeah we we read every night at bedtime so maybe going mm. through the the novel like a couple pages each night before bed wouldn't be a bad way mm. to read it to the other three Right, yes. So you talked a bit about your middle grade books and briefly mentioned your children's books. Can you tell us about the children's book you have out now and maybe a couple of the works you have on the horizon? Yeah, so my first children's book, it's it's called The First Ostrich to Fly. Mm. And um, so it's written kind of as like, a, it, it's an encouragement. It's, it's a book of encouragement because I feel like a lot of times with children, with students, 
we kind of place limitations on them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, especially with special needs students or just um, like uh, in my situation, like students of color, students that come from poverty, we place limitations on them. You know, like you, you're from Cleveland, like, and mm-hmm. a lot of students from the inner city, they never leave the inner city, even though they could, right? And and then students with autism were kind of like, okay, well, you'll be able to do this in life, but that's pretty much it, or, you know, Down syndrome. Like, we just kind of put limitations on them. And so the book is about not placing limitations on ourselves and not allowing limitations to be placed on ourselves. Mm-hmm. The premise of the book is this boy, he has autism. It's not explicitly stated in the book, but he comes from, from school and he he has a conversation with his grandma and he's like, grandma, I'm different from the other students. Why can't I do what they can do? And so instead of answering him, she, she tells him a story and she's like, you know, back when the world first began, ostriches could actually fly until someone told them that they couldn't fly. And, And then they just believed that they couldn't fly. And so they never flew again. You know, they looked up into the sky and and saw other birds flying and they really wanted to, but, you know, they they couldn't fly. That's what somebody said. And so they never tried to fly again. And, And so then there's other examples like the lion really wanted to go swimming, but somebody told him, you know, real lions don't swim. You know, and so the lion just sits there and watches, you know, the hippos and the elephants playing in the water. But, you know, real lion, if you're a real lion, you don't swim, you know. And and so the boy's like, oh, that, that, you know, that's really sad. And so the grandma's like, oh, but there's more, you know, somebody told the hyena that his laugh was like really annoying and he needs to stop. But the hyena just laughed louder you know, I, I like my laugh. And so, and then somebody told the moon, you know, that like, why are you even shining right now? The sun is way brighter than you are. Why are you even bothering? But instead of listening to that, the moon just shone even brighter. Mm. And so it's, it's kind of a story of encouragement with like, you know, analogies to, to our own lives. And, you know, whether like we're, we're comparing ourselves to other lights, like the moon, you know, we can only shine as bright as we can shine. And, and however much light we give to the world, it's going to make the world a brighter place. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's what my uh, children's book is about. Like I said, I've got about seven or eight in the works. I've got one called The Shark Tooth Fairy um, <laughs> and Other Tough Animal Jobs. And so that's called a fanciful nonfiction. Mm-hmm. So it's like giving facts about animals, but in a fun way. So like... Like, what would it be like if there was a tooth fairy for sharks? You know, sharks lose as many as 35,000 teeth in a lifetime. So oh that, that would be a really tough job to have, you know. Yeah. Or what about a hairstylist for a porcupine? Because the porcupine quills are actually just hair. So that would be a really tough job. Or like a shoemaker for centipedes or, you know, stuff like that. So right. a fun way to give facts about animals. So that's another one I've got in the works and just a bunch of fun stuff like that. Yeah, that sounds like fun. You have a lot of creativity and you, you must be so busy. <laughs> it's a problem. So like what what happens is like I'll be like laying in bed and I'll have this idea pop into my head and it's like, you know, 11 o'clock, 1130 at night. And I'm like, oh, I will not be able to sleep because I have this idea in my head, you know, and, and once you have that in there, it's just spinning around and I'm like, I either have to like write this idea down 
or I have to convince myself that it's not a good idea anyways and just go to sleep, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so oh, my goodness. It's a problem. Well, there are worse problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So what do you like to do outside of riding? So I'm really into running, actually. I ran track and cross country in high school, and then in college I got into running marathons. I did a couple triathlons. Um, I even jumped into one college uh, track meet unattached, and it's the only race I've ever not finished in my life. Mm. Uh, I jumped into uh, the steeplechase, which if you're not familiar with it, it's like hurdling, oh, okay, uh, yeah. but the hurdles don't don't fall over. It's like a big log that oh you jump over, and then on one of them, you jump off of the hurdle and try and clear a water pit which it's about as fun as it sounds, but <laughs> we, and like I was, I was in this race with like some guys from Virginia tech were in there, UNC Asheville, Liberty. There were some big time programs and big time runners in this race. And I just jumped in and I was in dead last by about 50 meters after a mile and a quarter. And so we came to the back end of the track and I literally just ran off the track, jumped this little chain link fence and just ran ran out of the stadium. I was like, yeah, we're good here. Uh, but so I'm really into running, hiking, all that stuff. We enjoy baseball, soccer. Uh, my wife plays uh, intramural soccer still. Mm. I also, I play the piano. Um, so I, I'm pretty involved in the, the worship department at our church. Um, I play the keyboard there. So yeah, that, that's kind of our life. Family is really important to us. Right. Uh, we get together with, with my side of the family almost every Sunday for Sunday dinners. My dad, actually, we all pitched in and we all helped build like an extension onto their house, an addition on the house, just so we could fit like oh, enough wow. tables to fill, <laughs> to fit our whole family in there. Uh, because there's 12 grandkids now on, on my side of the family. And, um, so family's really important. We yeah. get together with family a lot. That's the pandemic was really tough on us that way. Yeah. You know, when we couldn't get together as a family and, uh, but now we're, we're back getting together almost every Sunday, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. It's nice. Well, Eric, I am so glad you joined us today and, and shared a little bit about your work and what you have coming up and congratulations on your recent release of IL the Arrow Boy. All right. Thank you very much, Sherry. It was such a pleasure talking to you and thank you. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Eric Steidel, author of Ayal the Arrow Boy. For more information on Eric and his works, visit his website at steidelstories.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews on InsideScoopLive.com. <laughs>